All right, if you notice there, uh, we there about verse 14, <clears throat> Paul points out that, uh, he, you know, the message to the, to the folks he's writing to, that he's, he's not going to boast about anything except Jesus, okay? The only thing that he's going to boast about is what Jesus has done, and the fact that he, Paul, not not because of who he is, but who Christ is, he can be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. Okay, He's not going to boast about his personal influence. He's not going to boast about uh, any achievements that he's made or anything like that. He's going to boast uh, in the work of Christ. Okay, And that's... And he, the, really, we're kind of focusing on that because, you know, this should be our attitude as well. You know, we aren't anything. We don't have anything. And, and we are not anything without Jesus. It's only because of God's good graces and His good mercies that we have anything or can do anything physically, spiritually, in any way, it's because of his kindness. And that's, really, that's kind of, in a way, that's a small that's a small part of the gospel message because Jesus, you know, Jesus even told his disciples and the people he was teaching, he said, you know, God causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous because he's good. Okay? So, um, when when if someone who doesn't know the Lord examines their own life, and uh, you know, hopefully they have uh, enough discernment to notice that whether or not they realize where it all comes from, that the blessings that they have blessings in their life, and really the way God may have blessed their life should be a testimony to them. Okay? That it's not really them. It's God. So that's that's what we're looking at. Uh, verse 14, But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Okay? So we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means. Uh if you remember last week, we talked about how the cross is the Christian's ground for boasting, and we read First uh, Corinthians chapter one, verses eighteen and thirty through thirty-one. We're not going to read it again, uh, but I would like to read the last two verses of that again in First Corinthians chapter one and verse thirty. But by His doing, His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Another way of thinking of that is giving credit where credit is due. That's, that's the way you and I may say that, might say that. Giving glory to God. Okay? <clears throat> and this is, if you think about the life of Paul... This attitude uh, 
that he has gained or developed, whatever you want to call it, because of his relationship with Christ as a Christian and because of his status as an apostle has shaped that outlook that he has, okay? Because when you think about it, he had everything, didn't he? He had everything going for him. And now, he says, I boast in the Lord. And, he, and when he wrote in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. First to the Jew, and then also to the Gentile. So he's not ashamed of it. He boasts in it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul wrote once again, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I have no doubt that Paul could have could have stood before any group and held forth on any subject and and uh, as far as being um, and, and talk at length about who he is, where he came from, things he'd accomplished in his life, um, and, and, and um, his history, his heritage, all of these things. But once he became the apostle of Jesus Christ, he, he didn't do those things, did he? The only thing he talked about was what? The Lord, the gospel, and sharing it with other people. The cross is the Christian's ground for boasting. One boasts in his confidence. Okay, that's, that's what the world does, or the worldly attitude. The cross is the sole ground for the Christian's right standing with God. When we're talking about the cross, we're talking about the work and the activity of God through Jesus Christ. Okay? His suffering, his, his sacrifice. It is the Christian's glory inasmuch as it is God's guarantee that he has been freed from sin to remain free from sin. Do you see the cross, or, or the, again, we're using that the cross sort of as a, as a metaphor for the activity of God in Jesus Christ, that that sacrifice... was good then, and it continues to be. You and I don't offer sacrifices. Uh, we, don't, we don't offer blood sacrifices. Because, I don't know about y'all, because if, we, if that was still a requirement, I'd be in pretty bad shape. I mean, I, I'd, I'd long since run out of something to, <laughs> to sacrifice, you know what I mean? But just as the Hebrew writer establishes in his message that Christ's sacrifice is good from now on. And that I can come before God anytime with the blood of Jesus. That's not to say, 
again, that, that we have a cavalier attitude about it. The point is, is that God's grace in the blood of Jesus is a perfect and permanent sacrifice. How neat is that? Isn't that good? That's good stuff. Huh? That's what we boast about. And we don't boast that we deserve it. We boast at how great it is. We boast that... Uh, what's the song, Cully? Um, hold on, it'll come to me in a second. Uh, hallelujah, what a Savior. Do you see what I'm saying? That song comes to my mind because, you know, that's... Uh, Christ is a Savior indeed if He can keep me saved. And that's again, that's what the Hebrew writer said, is that He is able to keep saved those who belong to God. Okay, so that's our confidence for boasting. Uh, and that's and that's Paul's attitude. Um, it is the Christian's confidence. Therefore, far be it from me to glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul wrote. Now, the other thing he mentions there in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14 is that not only does he point out uh, that you know, the, the boasting is in Jesus and what he has done. But also it says there, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, what do you think, uh, what do you suppose he means by that? He says, the, through the cross, in other words, through what Jesus, what God has done through Jesus on the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And that's one of those, I don't know what's the word, that's one of those weighty theological things that you could wade off into and, and spend hours and hours talking about it. But what does he mean in a practical sense? Yeah, because that, you know, crucifixion, you know, there's only one... Uh, you know, there's only one, that only ends one way, right? I mean, we're talking about the the actual physical, you know, crucifixion. It was, it was not a, while it was torturous and gruesome, it was efficient, okay? It, it got the job done, okay? So when he's talking about crucifying something, Everybody in in this time and place knows precise. Anybody that lived in the Roman world knew precisely what crucifixion meant. And I propose that that's why the Gospels don't go into a great detail about the crucifixion itself. They didn't have to. Everybody knew what that was. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you and I are further removed from that era, and. Uh, you know, the, think about it. The people that the the New Testament writers were writing to, you know, they perhaps 
had seen somebody crucified before, or, or maybe several people. I mean, if you read anything about the Roman Empire, they used to line the streets with people being crucified. So, I mean, it was... Uh, so when Paul uses a word like that to talk about how the world has been crucified uh, to him and he to the world, uh, you know, that he's talking about death. He's talking about the world is dead, and I am dead to the world. So... What does that look like for us? And I'm just throwing that question out there because, you know, obviously we still live in the world. Uh, does that mean we live in a bubble? Or that we live in a vacuum? What does that mean? That's that's not an idea where we stick our head in the sand and and what is it what does he mean? Obviously part of the gospel message not only is Jesus' death and and sacrifice and the uh, the promise of eternal that the, the the promise of eternal life is part of that message, also. Remember what he wrote in the First Corinthians, uh, chapter fifteen, I believe it is, and he says, you know, if if he he talks about if Christ had just died and that had been the end of it, you know, uh, this none of what we're doing makes any sense here. But he was talking about the resurrection, and in light of the resurrection, he says that if Christ be not raised from the dead, then we of all people, we of all men are are to be pitied, okay? Uh, and he said, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ be not raised from the dead, then then our teaching, our the everything we're doing is foolishness. But the point he was trying to make is that everything, the work that they were doing was because there is a resurrection. Okay? And so when he talks about the world dying to him and he to the, and the, the world dying to him and he to the world, he's talking about a death that has taken place, but he's also talking about a new life. You see what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm? Well, you get what I'm talking about? Uh, he's he's talking about a death that has happened, but he's also talking about a new life. So, in a practical sense, when we talk about Cully, if you were to tell someone, "Hey, the world is dead to me," what what do you mean by that? Because it's it's uh, because of the new life, and when you again we we still live in the world, okay. 
Yeah, you're just passing through. And sometimes when you say that to someone, really, some some folks can be taken aback by that because that may be a scary thought to them. Okay? And and let me let me put it to you this way. I can think of many things that are in this world that are good because God made them. You you see what I'm saying? And are you with me? I I want you to understand what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. Um, And and I can think of many things like that. Um, The beauty of God's creation. Nature. It's, it's 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 when you're sitting somewhere and you see... Uh, out in the woods and you see a sunset that's so beautiful it it almost makes you cry. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I love that. You know know what I'm saying? Um, Your family. The family family that God has given you and you've been put in part of it and you love that. Okay? You love them. You love that. You love that familial relationship, that connection. There are blessings in your life that you love because, mainly because you you know where they come from. You see what I'm saying? I'm talking about the good things, the real good things in, in life and in this world, okay? Things that God has given us and blessed us with. But when Paul talks about being crucified to the world, what is he talking about? Right. The spirit of the world. Are you with me? The spirit of the world is dead to him. He elaborates on this when you read in Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Starting in verse 3, he says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Remember, we're talking about a death that has taken place. Christ died on the cross. And he was raised to new life, wasn't he? And we die, don't we? To be raised to new life. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. In other words, the old man died. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, listen carefully, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, 
So when you go back to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, when he says the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, he's talking about what? The body of sin. Would you agree with that? In order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. So when he talks about the world being crucified to him and he to the world, he's talking about dying to sin. Okay? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14 and following, he says, For the love of Christ controls us. I'm going to read this passage, and we're going to come back to it, actually. We're going to look at this a couple of times. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? He is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And what are those old things? The power of sin in your life. Are you going to sin again? Are you going to sin today? But why does that not have power over you? If you know, and listen to me, I'm not, I'm not saying that we, we go out in pursuit of sin. But you and I are going to sin. But why does that not have power over us? Because we have the perpetual sacrifice of Christ. Not that we... Um, sin that grace may increase Romans chapter 6 that's not what we're talking about we're talking about a spiritual blessing that we enjoy from God because of our relationship with him in Jesus Christ that's why sin doesn't have power over us used to if we sinned well that was just that was just adding to the account wasn't it huh it was. It was just stacking up against us. The more we sinned, the more the balance was was tipped. But that's not the way it is anymore. Would you agree with that? Um, Colossians chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ. Now, that's how chapter 3, Colossians, begins. You know why it starts out that way in Colossians chapter 3? 
if we've been raised up with Christ, you know what he's talking about, don't you? Well, all of first, uh, excuse me, Colossians chapter 2, he's been talking about our faith in God. And that faith, he says there in Colossians chapter 2, you can go and read it, our faith is in the power and working of God. And, he's, and he, he, uh, he identifies that. He's talking about our baptism. And as we are participating in that, are buried with Christ, our faith is in the working of God. In other words, our faith is that God is going to do exactly what he said he was going to do at that time. Okay? And that's why he continues in chapter 3, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, having been buried, keep seeking, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ. Okay? And again, this is the new life. Okay. having the world been crucified to you and you to the world. Now understand what he's talking about when he says that the world has been crucified to you. From that point on, when you become a child of God, from that point on, there is conflict between the world and the Christian. Okay, not before, but now there is. There are there is now with the child of God. There is now conflict between you and the world, where there wasn't before. Understand that the world does not like me any more than I like it, and I'm talking about the spirit of the world. You understand? I'm talking about the sin and the unrighteousness in the world. I don't like it any more than it likes me. Why does it not like me and you, Sam? Right, and there's, and it's always going to be that way. Between, between the child of God and the spirit of the world. Now, it's not that the spirit of the world can remain in your fellow man all the time that person could be saved as well. But that spirit of the world is going to remain. Now listen carefully to what I'm fixing to say, and I don't mean this to sound like weird or anything like this. But you remember when Jesus told his disciples, you know, he, you know, he had to deal with the demon possessed, right? And he says, you know, if you cast that demon out, he's going to do what? He's going to go find some other place to be. So it is with the spirit of the world. If you influence someone for God and they obey the gospel, well, the spirit of the world is just going to find some place else to be. It's always going to be there, isn't it? And so there's always going to be conflict between the child of God, the Christian, and the spirit of the world. And that spirit, it doesn't like me any more than I like it. Okay? <clears throat> Was that the second bell? Okay. 
I'd like to pick up with that thought next time. Conflict between the world and the child of God.